Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4. We're continuing the series, uh, the study based on Ephesians. And of course, the title, let me remind you, is In Him For Him. And the first three chapters are dedicated to that whole idea of us being in Him, while the last three chapters, 4, 5, and 6, is where we are this morning, uh, dedicated to the whole theme of For Him. Now, in the For Him section, Paul describes a Christian's life as a journey headed in a certain direction. He uses the terminology of walking. I want to show that to you. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 1. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you. That whole idea, beseech you, means plead with you, beg, beg you to walk worthy of the calling. Now, when he talks about the whole idea of calling, here's one thing that we need to understand. It's a certain expectation. Now, think about your life. Have you ever thought about your life in the context that God has a certain expectation for your life? And Paul was spelling it out in this whole idea of this whole terminology of walking. So he says, to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Now, look at verse 17 of chapter 4. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. He's talking about those who are away from God, those who have no mind for God. They are in the futility of their mind. So again, the language is walk. Now look at Ephesians chapter 5, look at verse 2. He says, and walk in love. That means your walk needs to be defined by love. As Christ has also loved us and given himself for us. So what should we do with the walk? The journey should look as that which is defined by love. Skip down to verse 8. This is what we looked at last week. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And here's the command. Walk as children of light. Now, now, let me give you this as an illustration. The walk that he's describing here, and you see it, and we're going to really see it this morning, is a walk that should be done cautiously, a cautious walk. Now, let me show you a couple of pictures here on the screen. The first one uh, we see there is just a path. Now, how many think it would be pretty cool to just kind of walk leisurely down that path? Uh, uh, that's really a nice place there, isn't it? And the path doesn't seem to, it doesn't seem like it, we'd have to be very cautious about it. But then go to the next picture. How, how about this walk? Uh, how many of you want to sign up for that one? Now, now that's a little different walk. And, and what's interesting about that walk is it, it, you would, I guarantee you would walk differently in this, on this path than you would on the path before. How many of you would? Yeah, well, I think we might walk a little differently. Now, now this path that we see here on the tightrope is more of a description of what Paul was talking about here. So, so our approach to these walks would be different. We would have a different perspective. We would walk with this one with more caution. Each step, wouldn't it be weighed carefully? Oh, yeah. This is the tightrope walk. It's, more accurate. it's a more accurate description of what Paul was talking about. Uh, now, let me ask you this. Which walk would require more prayer? <laughs> Which walk would require more obser observance to instruction? Now, if you were told you had to make that walk, wouldn't you want to talk to someone who's already been on that walk? Would you heed everything they were telling you? 
Yeah, you would listen closely. You would, you would listen, and along with the prayers, it would go. So to navigate the walk on the tightrope, here, here's some things we need to understand. This is not on your outline, but to navigate this walk, how many of you would agree that you cannot be distracted? How many of you are on a path in your life right now in which there's one distraction after another? Many times the distractions we look at in Scripture are those of temptation. How many of you have seen temptation visit you already this year? Some of you have been, maybe you've looked at this year and you said, God, I want this year to be a great year in you. I want to follow you wholeheartedly. I want to continue the, the walk that you've put me on. But already this year you face one distraction after another. The whole idea of temptation. How many of you would agree that this type of walk on a tightrope, that your focus must be right? How many of you agree with that? Your focus needs to be right. Did, did you know that the, the, a tightrope artist does, does not necessarily look down? What does he do? He keeps his eyes straight ahead. He looks straight ahead. He looks over the, the horizon. So our focus must be right. So therefore, as we look into 2016, not only do we need to recognize the temptations and the distractions that are there as we walk this walk that Paul's talking about, but our devotional life needs to be right. Our prayer life needs to be right. How, how about thirdly, each step must be carefully considered. It's the whole idea of what God wills for you. And then this, here's, here's the last one. It requires more intention for each step. That means we're going to weigh the decisions that come in 2016 more carefully. We're going to look at the, the, what God has. There's this expectation of this call that's on our life. And as we make our way down this path of which one I think Paul is describing here, we're going to weigh everything carefully because the stakes are a little higher when you walk on this path, how many of you agree? So to, 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 to carry in the idea of this walk a little further, look at the introduction on your outline. We are called to flee the darkness. That's what we looked at last week. And pursue the light. To do this, we must take note, notice, as Paul reminds us in verse 15 of Ephesians chapter 5, when he says, see then, see then. Now, this requires frequent uh, examinations of our lives. Let, let me ask you a simple question. How many of you do uh, frequent evaluations of, of your life? For some of you, you do it this time of year. How do I know that? Because I hear people talk about resolutions and they, 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 they want to make changes to their life. And, and how many of you sometimes uh, will put it off? Well, when the next year rolls around, I'm really going to strongly consider this. <laughs> It's that whole language of that, the, the whole idea of frequent examinations of our lives and purposeful applications to our lives from the commands he gives us in today's verses. You see, what Paul's going to do today is he's going to give us command after command after command, and he's going to tell us how to walk the walk that God has for us, that expectation that he has. Now, these commands give us insight as to how we should walk. And the first one I want you to see there on your outline is this. What should our walk look like? First of all, it needs to be deliberate. Our walk needs to be deliberate. How we look at 2016, how we would navigate a tightrope, it needs to be very deliberate. Let me give you some definition or some phrases as it re relates to, to a deliberate walk. It means carefully weighed. It means strongly considered. It means something that is studied, and it's something that is intentional. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verse 15. He said, see, there, see then, 
He said, get this, see this for what it is, that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Circumspectly is characterized by the whole idea of exactness, thoroughness, precision, accuracy. It's the idea of looking, examining, and investigating something with great care and alertness. And so it's it's this walk he's talking about, this expectation that has been placed on us in our lives by God himself, this calling that we have. We're going to take root as we walk. We're going to be very deliberate. And that's the whole idea of walking circumspectly. Well, and then look on, uh, look in this verse again. He says, walk circumspectly. It literally means be careful how you live your life. And then he tells us, not as fools, but as the wise. This means we are to be deliberate in how we live. Let me tell you how most people live their lives. And I've told you this before. And and most of you are guilty of this. At times I'm guilty of this. But many people live our lives just drifting through life. How many of you feel like that's really more of your life? It's, it's just you're, you're drifting through life. You're bouncing off one thing to another. You're just trying to get through it. The whole idea of surviving. Some of us are stumbling through life. Some of us are just responding foolishly to life when there's no intention, when there's no deliberate steps that are being taken. So why is this so important? that we walk circumspectly. Well, first of all, you have, look on your outline, you have the fool. The fool, one thing about him or her, the fool pursues the darkness. I mean, you see that time and time again as you read Scripture. The fool is up to no good. The fool is walking in the opposite direction as the direction God has prescribed or the calling and expectation he's placed on our lives. So what does the fool do? Well, this is not on your outline, but the fool moves towards sin. The fool embraces sin. The fool does not consider the consequences of sin. The fool can even become deceived by sin. Look at the several verses here on the screen. Proverbs 1-7 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Here's what you need to understand about a fool. You can't tell them anything. How many of you know one? Don't, Don't look at the person beside you. Proverbs chapter 12, here's here's one. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. How many of you figured that out? You've seen that. Here's another one. The mouth of the foolish is near destruction. So we're not to walk as the fool. Look on your outline. We're to walk as the wise. The wise pursues the light. The wise moves away from sin. It embraces wisdom. It considers the consequences of sin. It becomes enlightened by truth. Do you know why? Because he realizes or she realizes that this walk should be proceeded through cautiously. It's more of a tightrope walk. Here's some verses about the wise man. Proverbs 1.5, a wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. Here's Proverbs chapter 3, do not be wise in your own eyes. Don't, don't think you do have it all together. Don't, don't think you, you, no one can't tell you anything. Don't, don't think that. Well, the wise has figured that out. They figured that out. Here, here's another one, Proverbs 13. He who walks with wise men will be wise. Let me, let me put it simply to you. If you walk with fools, you're likely to be a fool. 
If you walk with the wise, you're likely to be wise. So look on your outline. We need to be deliberate in this walk. Number two, we need to be diligent. Diligent. Now, now before we get into this whole idea of diligence, let me give you the opposite of diligence. The opposite of diligence is carelessness, disinterested, ignorance, laziness, neglectfulness, unconcerned. The walk that we've been called to, the expectation of the walk we've been called to, that's nothing, that, those words don't describe that walk, the one that God has for us. But the definition of diligence is this, careful and perse- uh, persevering in carrying out tasks or duties. It's rising up to the expectation that's been placed on us. Now look on your outline. To be diligent means making the most of opportunities. That's what it means. That's what Paul's getting ready to tell us. So look at Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verse 16, the first part. He says this, redeeming the time. Now, now if you go back to the verse before, what you're going to find out is this. There's a, there's a contrast between the ways of the fool and the ways of the wise. And basically he's saying what will be a determining factor between the two. It's really the whole idea of what they do with their time. How many of you would agree with that? It is. Time is really, when you look at it. Now, why the focus on time? Here it is. Because when you really think about it, time is really all we have. How many of you know that? Time's really all we've got. When you really strip down life to its basic meaning. According to U.S. News and World Report, in a lifetime, which they say is 80, they, they put this down, they base it on 85 years, average life expectancy. In a lifetime, the average American spends, this may shock you, six months sitting at stoplights. If you're 85 years or older and you're sitting here this morning, bless your heart, you spent half a year sitting at stoplights. Here's another one. One year looking for misplaced objects. Now, I've one thing I've noticed as I've gotten older, I'm spending more time doing that. Seems to happen. Two years unsuccessfully returning phone calls. Four years doing housework. Some of you are like, I think that's much bigger than that. Five years waiting in line or waiting on the phone. Five years. Here's your favorite. Six years eating. Amen, yeah. Eight years watching TV. This one. You know, how many of you, when you've, sometimes when you hear commercials, they, some of them really make sense. You, you ever heard, you, you ever heard a commercial? How many of you have noticed that when they start talking about mattresses and pillows, that they really are right? That, that, that there's a lot riding on those things. And here's why. We spend 28 years of our life sleeping. 28 years on that mattress with that pillow. Those things need to be right, people. (laughs) Just this brief list, when you add it up, listen to this. Of the 85 years, just this brief list comes to 54 and a half years. Y'all, we don't have all the time we think we do. Time is pressing. Let me give you some thoughts concerning time. This is not on your outline, but it's free. Here it is. Time is short. How many of you realize that? The older we get, the, the more rapid it, it goes. I remember Tina's dad 
my, my wife's dad years ago was talking about how short time is. Of course, we were 20-some-year-olds and 30-some-year-olds are like, are you kidding me? This thing is dragging right on out. I mean, and he's like, no, it really does. And you know one thing? I'm, I'm only 50, but I'll tell you this. Time is speeding up. It speeds up the older we get. Time is short. The more scarce something is, the more, the more valuable it is. James in chapter 4 says this. You are a mist that appears for a while and then vanishes. Here's another one. Time is passing. Here's what many of us say, and we're not even speaking the right terms. Many of us say this. We say that we're saving time. We're buying time. We're making up time. Did you know you can't do any of those? Time is time. And it ticks by. Time lost cannot be regained. Here's another one. Our remaining time is uncertain. How many of you find that encouraging? But it is, it's uncertain. Listen, thousands in the world, as this service has gone on, thousands in this world have gone on into eternity. Now, and here's what's interesting about time. Now is really all we have. The past has already been done. We're not guaranteed the future. The only thing we have is the present right now. Let me tell you something about these commands that Paul is giving. He gives us command after command after command. If you go study the verbiage, you know what you'll find out? Every one of them are in the present tense. It means if we're going to have any impact for eternity, if our life is going to count, if we're going to live the life that's been expected of us to live, it will have to happen in the now. Here's another one. As it relates to time, you're going to be accountable to God for your time. How many of you are very encouraged by that today? Romans 14 says this, So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Here's some good advice. The great preacher Jonathan Edwards suggested this. Living each day as if at the end of that day, you had to give an account to God of how you used your time. How many of you would live differently if you, if you knew that was going to be expected? We would. Here it is. Time is easily lost. There was a survey conducted of people over the age of 95. They were asked this simple question. If you could live your life over again, what would you do differently? There were four answers that kept coming up in some way or another. Here's the four answers. I would not have wasted so much time worrying. Worrying. Isn't that amazing? I heard the other day, this blew my mind, that there was a, a one, they were interviewing a 100-year-old woman. And, and they started talking about her daughter, who was, by the way, 78 years old. And that 100-year-old mother said this, I've never stopped worrying about her. You never get over it, <laughs> it seems. But, but so many times people get to that point and they say, I wish I wouldn't have wasted so much time worrying over these little things. Here's another one. I would have reflected more. I would have taken more risk. You know why we don't take more risk? And this is the main reason I don't, I think, at times. is Number one, I'm a people pleaser. Sometimes, how many of you agree that gets in the way? Yeah, if you think it's going to step up. And, and fear of failure keeps us from taking those risks. Here's another one. If I had to do it all over again, or this is the thing I regret the most, I would have done more things that would have lived on after I was gone. Here's, 
This is now on your outline. Proper use of time. Listen to this. Excuse me. Proper understanding of time. God created time. How many of you know that? Between the two eternities, what do you have? You've got time. He created it. He's got bookends. On each side of time is eternity. God created time. God rules over time. God, think of this, placed us in time. Have you ever thought about that? That he placed you at this time, all the years that human beings have lived on this earth, that at this time, he's placed you here. And guess what we've learned? This, this, the whole idea of our life, there is a certain expectation that comes with it, and sometimes it's all about the timing of the moment. That's the language that we have here in these verses. And here's another one as it relates to understanding of time. God has given us the responsibility to manage our time. Now, let me give you some things that we need to be about, and I'll I'll go through these two things quickly. First of all, serving others should be a part of what we're called to do. That is part of the expectation that we have on our walk. How many of you serve others? Think about that. What are ways that you serve others? I'm not just talking about your own immediate family. I'm talking about the body of Christ. I'm talking about your, your community. Here's another one, sharing Christ. We've all been given that responsibility. If you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, there is a responsibility that comes with being a saved person. And that is that we share the knowledge of Christ. The philosopher William James, as we leave this whole idea of time, said this. The great use of time is to spend it on something that will outlast it. That's good advice. Next, to be diligent means making the most of opportunities, but also safeguarding the move against obscenity. Look at at what he says in Ephesians chapter 5. He says this, redeeming the time. Why would he say that? Here it is, because the days are evil. Can I give you another way of looking at this? Because the days are dangerous. How many of you know that? The days are dangerous. There's so many things pulling at us. There's so many things that's trying to take our focus away from this uh, diligent walk that we've been given. There's there's expectation that God has on our lives. And there's so many things competing against that. There's dangerous landmines out there. The, uh, The idea here is that we are to navigate through time very carefully. Evil in this passage implies that it's very active. How many of you know that evil is very active? Some of us, all we got to do is look at some of our family. For some of us, all we got to do is turn on the news. It's it's there. It It comes to us. Evil comes to us through a fallen world. How many of you agree we live in a fallen world? That's the seedbed for evil. A lustful flesh. How many of you know that there's enough evil just resting in you at times? Your lustful flesh is a seedbed of evil, or can be. How about this? An active enemy. How many of you are aware that he's operating in that role to bring destruction? Paul in chapter 6 will instruct us. This is what's interesting. You go from chapter 5 to uh, chapter 6, and after you make your way into chapter 6, Paul tells us how to best navigate through the times of evil. And what's interesting about, I think, is chapter 6, verses 10, 11, and 12, is the fact he reveals who the enemy is. And then from there, he tells us what we need to put on to protect ourselves from the days of evil. 
And so Paul was giving us all this information as it relates to this walk that we've been called to. Next, we're not only to be deliberate, we're not only to be diligent, we're to be perceptive. Ephesians chapter 5, look at verse 17. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Most translations read this way. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Foolish means no awareness of God, nor his ways or his will. Foolish means lack of sense. It means lack of understanding to the point of being deceived. Foolish means lack of restraint. It means lack of regard for future consequences. Worst of all, foolish could be knowing the right things, but not doing the right things. Those are all pictures and snapshots of foolishness. Understanding here in this text is the idea of putting together the pieces of the puzzle or to exhibit quick comprehension. It's perceiving a concept. It's literally, literally that whole idea of getting it. How many of you at times you read your Bible and you start cross-referencing maybe some things that you read in your Bible through a good study Bible. And all of a sudden, you're led here, and then you're led here. And all of a sudden, maybe you come into a class, a, a small group, or, or you come in here on a Sunday morning, and all of a sudden, it all clicks. And you're just like, I get it. How many of you are thankful for those times? Did you know that God wants you to get it? That's the only way our walk will be successful is to understand what the will of God is. In this case, he's talking about the will of God. The will in this context is a result of one's purpose or desire. Concerning the religious of the first century, Jesus said this as a fulfillment of prophecy from Isaiah. He's looking at the religious. How many of you realize that the religious were not necessarily his friends? Did you know the religious crucified him? Listen what Jesus said about them. And they were standing right there. Here's what he said in Matthew chapter 13. Hearing you will hear and shall not understand. And seeing you will see and not perceive. You won't get it. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes have closed. Lest they could, should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. That lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Do you know what Jesus was saying there? Jesus was saying, I'm here to heal them. I'm here to, make, to bring them into a right standing. But here's what he was saying. But they don't get it. They honestly do not get it. Did you know that most of the religious establishment in the first century never, never accepted Jesus as who he really was? You know why? Because their hearing was dull. Their, their perception was dulled. He wants us to get it. And then once we get it, he wants us to walk accordingly. Next, we are to be controlled. All these are commands, by the way. Be controlled. In verse 18, Paul is making both a comparison and a contrast. And he says this, be controlled not by wine. Not by wine. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation. Now, let me just tell you what's really the, at the face value at verse, of verse 18. As Paul is writing this letter to the church at Ephesus, here's one thing you need to understand. At face value, the Ephesians would know that Paul is referring to pagan worship. Pagans throughout history, including the first century, believed that drunkenness was a path of worship to God. That drunkenness brought them closer to God. 
the temple of Diana sat right there in Ephesus, one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. People came there to worship the gods. Do you know what kind of frame of mind they got into to, to do that? Through drunkenness. So when Paul writes this, this verse in verse 18, the Ephesians knew right away that that's how the, the, the pagans understand that they were to get close to God. That's how they, they perceived that they could figure out the ways of, God, of the gods. But Paul says, uh, this is not the way to do it. Paul's disputing the claim with his comparison and contrast in verse 18. The word dissipation here literally means waste that leads to ruin. Being controlled by wine can lead to ruin. It can lead to waste. How many of you have heard the phrase, well, they're just wasted? It's, where you, it's a whole concept here. It can lead to ruin. It can lead to no good. Next, to be, uh, be controlled not by wine, but by the Spirit. So here's the contrast he's making. In Ephesians chapter 5, look at the last part of verse 18. He says, but. The word but there speaks of contrast. Don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, there is a comparison we can make. Drunken and Spirit-filled people have one thing in common. They are both controlled by outside influences. Their lives and their behavior are radically changed by, what, by that which fills them. Paul was saying, stop living under the controlling influence of alcohol, but instead be continually living under the controlling influence of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know that many times I lose you when, when I start talking this way, but let me tell you what the Greek's trying to say here and the verbiage that's here. If you were to say, okay, what verse in all the Bible is it important for us to understand the verbiage and what the Greek is saying? It's this verse right here. Let me show you something right quick. The phrase, be filled with the Spirit, is in what is called the imperative mood. The imperative mood means that it's a command. It's not a suggestion. This is what's expected. Here's the second thing. It is in the present tense. It means it's an expectation of a continual action. It's something that begins and continues. It's, it's a command. But thirdly, it is in the passive voice. Now, this is interesting. It's subject. The subject receives the action. So there's three things we got to look at. First of all, it's a command to be filled with the Spirit of God. It's not just a command for, for now. It's, it's, it's something that should continue. But what's interesting about it is, is the whole idea of its voice. The voice says it's passive. It's not the subject that's necessarily doing all the work. Something is being done to the subject. Now, I know that's deep, but let me explain this to you. This verbiage implies that we have responsibility in the action of being filled with the Spirit. But God also has responsibility in this act also. Let me tell you what I'm talking about or show you. Look at the picture here on the screen. Picture of a sailboat. How many of you think it'd be pretty cool to get on one of those jokers and go around the world or whatever, but that's not the purpose reason it's up there. Not to get you to dream or anything. But anyway, the purpose is this. Here's what I want you to understand about this picture. When you look at what's being said here in this verse, the boat could be a reference of our lives. Okay, so we got our lives here. The direction we turn or set the sail 
is our responsibility. How many of you have ever been sailing before? Maybe on a smaller sunfish or a Hobie cat or whatever. You know what I'm talking about, the smaller sailboats? Have you ever been out there where you're responsible to set the sail? What are you trying to do with setting the sail? You're trying to catch the wind. You're trying to turn the sail in such a way that it catches the wind in such a way that it moves you in the direction you'd like to go in. Okay? And that's what's taking place here. You see the wind that's taking that sail? He had the position. He had to set the sail. It was the responsibility of the individual in the boat to do that. But who brought the wind? God brought the wind. That's the whole idea of the passive voice here. It's talking about there are some responsibilities. There's a command. There's something that we're to be continually feel, but something is being done to it. It is the wind that is pushing it. How is one filled with the Spirit? Or how does one set the sails in the direction God desires? Here's the requirements. Look on your outline. First of all, a clean heart. And really, that comes by way of repentance. It's the only way you're going to be filled is to have a clean heart. It involves repentance. Number two, a submissive heart. It speaks of surrender. And thirdly, an obedient heart. It speaks of lordship. All these things are required for the sail to be set in, in, in such a way that it moves you in the direction God desires you to do. And then once all that's done, who's doing the acting upon? It's God doing that. He's setting this. He's moving us in that direction. He, he's doing that. And, but all because we're looking at what he's desiring. I got to hurry. Look, here on your, look at the footnote on your outline. There's a difference between baptism and feeling of the Spirit. Okay? Big difference. First of all, baptism of the Holy Spirit is, is a, of the Holy Spirit is a one-time experience. I personally believe that happens when a person comes to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit of God comes to reside in them. But the feeling of the Holy Spirit is repeated and continuous. It's the whole idea of I've given my heart to Jesus. I'm living like he desires me to live. I've repented. I'm surrendering to him. I'm under his lordship. And then all of a sudden I get out here and how many of you realize that Christians can still mess up pretty badly? And I fall into some sin. Do you know what I've got to do? I've got to get back to a clean heart. I've got to get back to a submissive heart. I've got to get back to where he's Lord of my life. Those things, setting that sail, getting to that point, is all that talk of, of what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God. It's repeated and continuous. Listen, baptism of the Holy Spirit, is that salvation? It's where one identifies with Christ. The filling of the Spirit is a process of sanctification. There's a process associated. It's the whole idea of becoming more like Christ. The baptism of the Holy Spirit begins the relationship with Jesus Christ. The feeling maintains the fellowship with Jesus Christ. The baptism is a result. The results are salvation. The feeling of the Holy Spirit, the results are certain actions and attitudes. That means there will be evidence that that is happening in your life. Here's a great quote. The human spirit fails unless the Holy Spirit feels. How many of you have come to understand that? It's so true. If a person is filled with the Holy Spirit, there will be evidence of the fact. The evidences, however, did you know that the evidence or what Paul was outlining in verses 19, 20, and 21? There's evidence. First of all, look on your outline. You'll be enjoyable. You'll, you'll, be, you'll be a pleasant person. People enjoy being around you. 
I mean, it's amazing. And, and look at what I'm talking about here. A person being filled, there's certain things that, ha- that happen in that person's life. And, and the first thing you see there on your outline, I believe, is vulnerability, encouragement, and fellowship. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says in verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, I would like to think that our pastors are filled with the Spirit of God. But did you know that in the office, we don't sing to one another? If Gary came up to me and said, Oh, Brian, how are you doing today? I would see if he's under the influence of alcohol. That goes back to the other verse. No, I'm just kidding. I hope he doesn't do that tomorrow. Maybe he's not in here. But anyway... But, but, but anyway, it's that whole idea, it's not talking about, it's the whole idea that, that, that there's a community that's taking place. There's something happening there that we're free with one another. How about the second part there? Enthusiasm, adoration, and worship. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says, singing and making melody in your heart to who? To the Lord. Think about it. We have the potential to bring not only joy to others, this should blow your mind. We have the potential to bring joy to the heart of God. When's the last time you've thought of it that way? Here's another one. Be grateful. Another evidence of being filled with the Spirit is to be grateful. In Ephesians chapter 5, look at verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In all things, we have the opportunity. Think about this. In all things, we have the opportunity to show Jesus to the world, to live lives that glorify him. Next, to be accommodating. To be accommodating. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. The whole idea could be in the reverence of God. It means putting others before yourself, looking to their interests rather than to your own, giving up your rights and your ways to maintain the unity of the body and the bond of peace. Here's the application. Pursuing the light requires intentionality. You've got to be intentional. Here's the question. Do you live your life fulfilling the commands mentioned in these verses? Do you begin each day focusing on these commands? Now, let me ask you this. As we close, what type of walk are you on? What type of walk are you on? Do you think this life is just kind of leisure walking and we're just, oh, everything's just great and there's certain pastors on TV that make you want to think that and all that, but it's not. It's a tightrope walk. And we're going to handle that differently once we get our minds and hearts around that. So, Let me give you something. I I, I think I put it on your outline. A little daily prayer. How can we take what we've learned this morning and pursue the light, move in the direction of the light? How can we take that and make it applicable? I think it all begins by waking up each morning, listen, and giving our day to the Lord. Giving it to Him. And I've helped you out with that prayer that you can pray. Just stand to your feet, please. Father, we just come to you right now. We thank you for your love and your goodness. We thank you for what you've shown us here this morning. And Lord, it's just, it, when we look at these verses, it's just one command after another. And, and Lord, as we looked at these verses, the, the commands are not in the future. The commands are not about the past. It's about the present. It's about making, being intentional about what you've called us to.
And Father, I pray for the one that's here today, Lord. Maybe they've never begun this journey, this walk. Maybe they've never given their heart to you. I pray today will be the day that they will start that walk with you. But Father, maybe there's Christians here today. They've already started this journey. They've been walking for some time now. And they can't figure things out. Right now, they just they seem to be in the dark. They can't quite get this whole idea of this walk, this expectation of this walk that you have for us. Father, maybe it's because they're looking at it totally wrong. Lord, everything that you said through the Apostle Paul here in these verses tells us that that walk can be very dangerous. That that walk, we need to stay focused and be diligent. That we need to perceive what needs to be perceived. That there needs to be fruit from this walk. Father, I pray that we'll somehow we'll get our minds and hearts around that. Lord, if there's someone here today that believes this is their church home, you call them to be a part of. I pray they'll make that commitment to you now. We thank you for what you're going to do. Have your way in this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.